Now, I've been asked to do many things in my career, some of which I'm not very proud of. Voicing an intro to battles with bits of rubber with Stuart and Todd, well, that ranks right up near the top. I believe it's some kind of a podcast. been a productive week it has we managed to shoehorn a lot in but very stressful Tuesday was very stressful Monday was quite stressful <laughs> <laughs> trying to get our heads around a scanner yeah it's uh, and we're still trying to do that but I think getting Nolan on on a zoom call again yesterday with both of us yeah made made a big difference I so this is a guy from Artec that was Really, quite helpful. I mean, yeah, filling in blanks. Yeah, I got to say, Art, the folks at Artec have been extremely available and helpful from the get-go. Yeah, um, from from the moment they said, "Yeah, we'd love to be involved and, and get you a scanner to play with for the book." <clears throat> um, uh, Matthew McMillan, you know, who is in at their headquarters in, in Luxembourg, has been reaching out and very very uh, receptive to the feedback we, we've provided and um, their office in California where Nolan Doctor who's their their tech guy one of their tech guys uh, has been very accessible for zoom calls it's terrific and, and giving us documentation to wade through <laughs> to wade through yeah. it's a lot of stuff but it is. So we should probably explain a bit about the nature of scanning because it's some people might not even know what we're talking about. Yeah, because the what scanner pic- is. Well, it's it's been an eye opener for me. You know. Yeah. I have a little Revopop two scanner that's pretty pretty straightforward, but it has doesn't have the detail mm. that the that the spider does. No. Which has incredible detail, but the pictures and, and posts that I see on Instagram don't come close to painting the whole picture I mean, the stuff that I see um, Louis Zakarian doing for Saturday Night Live you see him moving the scanner around the, an actor's head mm. and voila there's this scan of, of the head and it's not like that at all no I think that's the biggest excitement for me it's not like point and click like a camera you've yeah the, you've the magic it. really happens after you scan and there's a, a method to getting the scan data right, yeah. but it's pieces that have to be sewn together rather than one object that yeah. you're that you're creating just by moving the scanner around. Yeah, you sort of stitch them together, don't you, with the software? Which was it was weird for me because the only other scanner I've seen has been iScan scanners, and they tend to build the model as you scan, so you see the complete model. Yeah. I suspect because it's taking fewer images because it's not as detailed but the point is you end up with a model and you sort of know what you've got before you stop scanning whereas this way you're grabbing pieces yeah. with a mind to assembling them afterwards at a rate of 8 frames or up to 8 frames a second yeah so you might capture you know a thousand of these still images essentially mm. and then the software will stitch them together I think that's the gulf of difference is like not really understanding yeah the software is really quite sophisticated yeah 
You know, there there are ways to you can shortcut things, but you're not going to get the same results that you would if you took the time to really work every image and stitch them all together in a there's a format, kind of a, a pattern. Yeah, but it, it you know it works well, but it's just it's 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 a process which is probably familiar to engineering types in the engineering world. Yes, but us normally would use that scanner for scanning engine blocks or but us so-called you know, artists we're not it's, like that. It's, <laughs> we're a bit it's, uh, it's alien technology. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the, the the divide between people that take to scanning with this stuff because the danger is a more user-friendly scanning company will mm-hmm. make all that easier. Yeah, and, and it will be like cameras. You yeah, know? and who knows, you know, maybe some of the feedback we're given to our tech will um, incentivize them to dumb some of it down for well, creatives. That, and I just think the technology will change. Like, in the same way, you know, if you wanted to take a picture 150 years ago, you needed quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, you needed a bellows camera and a, a sit still for two minutes and then you need silver nitrate sheets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now you just tap a picture. So I think it will get easier as time goes by. Yeah, dark is. rooms are becoming a thing of the past. Uh, that was a good, a good experience because we spent Tuesday pretty much completely confounded, restarting the computer, reinstalling software. Software was crashing, and we I think re- recalibrating the scanner. Recalibrating the scanner, and it, it's a lot and of it's, work. And it's, yeah, and it turns out that it's just operator error. Well, there's operator error, but there's also like they were saying there was some kind of issue with it syncing with. <coughs> there's a default setting to sync your saved data with. Microsoft Cloud, oh, yeah, one, yeah, one, cloud, uh, one drive, one drive, and yeah. it's just do you know what I mean? So it's just little things like that. So when you've got all these little moving parts working together, it's inevitable there's going to be yeah. Microsoft, are you listening? You don't have to have your fingers in everything. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Apple would probably do it, but they charge ten billion pounds for it. But the, that's the that's the that's the cost of it, isn't it? If, if, what we're talking about something that's quite sophisticated, actually. Yeah. It's quite sophisticated. It's not what normal people will do. Certainly not what I've done before and I'm likely to do because if I needed a reliable scan tomorrow, I certainly wouldn't go out and buy a scanner. I'd pay someone who does this all the time yeah. to do it because I really get how their knowledge of it is valuable. Yeah, that's what you're talking with Frank. You know, there, there's, there's a learning curve to it. Yeah. And it's steeper than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Which, And thankfully, I've... I'm going to have the scanner for a while yet. You know, it's middle of August. I'm going to have this thing till, oh, you'll have it nailed. Till, the, till the end of September. I just wish you were going to be able to hang longer so we could play with it together and, oh. and learn it together. You, you, you'll, you'll enjoy I mean, when, you, <laughs> when you're done, you'll be like, I'm, just not, I'm not giving it back. <laughs> What's going oh, well, What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, I, am, um, I feel very good that our tech <laughs> was willing to, to trust me with a... You know, an almost twenty-five thousand dollar piece of equipment. Well, I think what's good as well. I mean, I'm we're thinking about this on Tuesday whether we should record after our really shitty day of of trying to get this thing to work. And I'm glad we didn't because the thing is, there's so much to it that what I think is good about our experience with this is you've gone through what people like us would go through. Yeah, because we're not stupid, but it's just that it's a different thing. You've got to think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. 
and that that's not usual with most of the tools we have so and now it's going to be a matter of repetition yes because that's how learning takes place yeah and learning learning the, the terminology and the phrase a little bit you know when you're using things like fusion 360 and you would learn technical words for things like the draft when you mean an angle or something i've never used that word when i'm making a mold with clay yeah but that's what it's called in engineering and you know technical drawing so when you learn that it suddenly becomes so that, that kind of shorthand makes things yeah, easier well, like color yes with the art texture. with the art tech or <laughs> texture textures yeah, yeah they they say texture when they mean color but that's presumably what the scanning world calls well it is what I guess what the scanning yeah, world calls which is odd because I call color color the, the reflection of light off of surfaces <laughs> how <laughs> yeah. I interpret you know, texture is different waveforms bumpiness or yeah texture well I guess in a way <clears throat> color is texture because if you for example if I look at the roof of your cabin there mm-hmm. I can see different shades those are different frequencies of light reflecting back the brighter ones are reflecting more light and the darker ones less so it's given the illusion of texture there is a form to it but because the scan is an optical scanner it's taking images that's what it is so it's turning colour into texture kind of like when you make a um, learning just learning just took place it did yeah there we go there's (laughs) me telling them off for saying the wrong thing but it's just but that's what I'm saying we don't that, that, that's a very technical thing but if, if somebody who paints all the time thinks about colour they probably know that intellectually but they, they're very invested in colour mixing mm-hmm. and, and pe- uh, you know pigments and all that kind of stuff so yeah. that's what I mean it's that, that difference and there's a million and one of those yeah, differences it comes down to being able to speak the same language yeah which is why I think it's quite interesting when you see digital people sorry practical people doing digital stuff and becoming familiar with it because they can integrate with them yeah. it took me a little bit to get my head around the, the whole X, Y, and Z axis um, going from CGI to printing, 3D printing. Yeah. Because in CGI, the Z axis is foreground to, to background mm-hmm. and front to back. Uh, and X is side to side and Y is up and down. Or in 3D printing, Z axis is up and down and Y is front to back. But as you pointed out, with the 3D printing, it's you're basically looking down the z-axis, yeah, yeah, how, how it prints. So it's tricky, that's isn't it? Front to back, like how you wipe your ass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you reach around or you go straight under. So uh, that was unnecessary. I'm sorry. <laughs> The ability to not say something when it occurs to me, because I think it's funny, has got me into a lot of trouble at school, but it still creeps out now. Fuck it, it's our podcast. <laughs> that could be rude. You are who you are. Yeah, sorry about that. So, yeah, so so we, we've had some fun with this scan, and that was very cool. We're sitting on the porch, which is where you can hear on the, the back, occasional On por- the back porch. The back porch. The actual back porch of back porch effects. It's pretty good, isn't that? Yeah. We did this a while ago, but it was a long, long time a ago. A long time ago. Before we had the catio, yeah, I think. But catio didn't exist then. Yeah. Which is where we are now. So you'll hear you hear the occasional hawk. There might be, if we're lucky, some kind of jet fighter flying overhead from the nearest uh, Possibly, air force yeah, space. The, the, well, it's it's just now seven a.m. Reveille doesn't blow on base till seven thirty. Okay. So <laughs> so the so the chair force is still asleep. An invigorating sound to have, hear these fighter jets booming overhead. Yeah. In full afterburner. 
which happens frequently. So we should um, probably get on with our episode, which uh, this one is with Frankie Polito, who very kindly spoke to us. Yeah, Frank is a good guy. So he runs a company called Thingergy. I hope I say it right. It's not Thingergy, is it? It's Thingergy. You know, it's <laughs> Thingergy. Thingergy Inc. And we did go there a couple of years back. We visited when we were at uh, Monster Palooza, I think it was. Mm-hmm. We popped around. But he's expanded since. But yeah. they make a lot of speciality. Frank started out doing prosthetics, didn't he? There's a lot yeah, more speciality. Yeah, he worked for V. Neal for a couple of years, uh, you know, before before Face Off. Yes, he was on Face Off, and then uh, he did a lot of stuff with Tested, and they did a lot of videos mm-hmm. doing makeup. He's a he's a world class mold maker. Yep. He would probably disagree about that, but he is a very good mold maker. Yes, and he was. Uh, they had a, a podcast called Creature Geek with another guy, Lem Peralta, which was a great podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't. He's got time to do that. Well, we mentioned it briefly. We discussed that bit in the podcast. But he's made a like pretty it. concerted switch from makeup effects to specialty costumes. Yes. Uh, to the effect that he's got quite the operation going on. Yeah, and they got some good credits. Things like Mandalorian, um, Umbrella Academy, Umbrella Academy, the Orville. The, yeah, the Orville. You know, a lot yeah. of really cool suits yeah. and Sh- creature shows things. that don't suck. Yeah, exactly, uh, but. What's interesting is a lot of the processes are the same as from the prosthetic world. You talk about molding, casting, painting, all that kind of stuff. But he's hugely involved with the digital side of things. Are you scanning bodies? Yeah, to make sure that suits fit. Yeah, how many scanners, three D printers, do they have now? I think you said like twenty-one or something. Yeah, (laughs) and some of them are quite large. Yeah necessarily and I, I don't know if that includes milling machines as well because that may happen off site if you're doing big stuff that you only use uh, he's got he's got machining he's he, they've got cnc all all on site yeah but he's grown over the years i mean he's one of those guys that's steadily grown we we talk about this in the podcast that that you know there are a lot of people that are very good at making stuff but not everyone can then go and run a company which involves fighting for budgets firing people you know there's quite uncomfortable things to do payroll yeah payroll it's it's, it's it's a business and yeah. it needs to be looked on like a business it's not the same as being a one man operation like you and I are yeah no it's most of the real time step up. yeah absolutely so it's it's really it was interesting to talk to him and, and see you know from his point of view from someone that was freelancing and growing steadily and um, you know how he feels about that on, on what, what, what to now being to. the man yeah <laughs> <laughs> so thank you Frank for that um, I guess listen to his chat now and tell us what you think. Hello, Frankie good, Rocket. Good morning, guys. How, How are, are you? you? Oh, wonderful. Amazing. So things have things have grown since we saw you last. Out, oh out shit! Yeah, my building's fourteen thousand square feet. Jesus, big big shop. Yeah, you guys got to come visit sometime. Would love to. Yeah, man. That Anytime. Good. Yeah, when um, we saw you, you you done some stuff. I think you'd started on Umbrella Academy because I remember there were some things we weren't allowed to cover in the photos that we took. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so you've, was, been, a, you've been in this big shop. Then. I've been in this shop, yeah, but okay. you've expanded since because you have one room with 3D printers in. I'm guessing you have more now. We have three rooms <laughs> with 3D printers. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, we have like 20-some 20, 20 printers now. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Artec just sent me a, a space spider to play with that, mm-hmm. that we yeah. are pl- having some learning and, and yeah, yeah. having a ball with. and uh, Yeah, the Artec stuff's really nice. And Formlabs is sending me uh this week uh, a 3l to play with so i'm really excited to use the artec and the form labs together there was a pretty stiff learning curve with the the spider we spent yesterday you know exuding much profanity 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's because we're idiots with it. Yeah, and, and, no and I was about to box the thing up and send it back to him. And no, there's and then, there's for sure then, a learning and then, curve. And then suddenly, boom, it was Jesus beams from the sky. And I think doubling the RAM helped. Yeah, I went out and doubled <laughs> doubled the RAM in my computer, which well, made a, an an immediate difference. So we uh, we have an Artec Eva, and we have it running on a on a gaming computer. Like I got the most powerful gaming laptop I could get, and that's what we run that thing. Yeah, on. you just need to give it all the juice. Yeah, yeah. I've got thirty two gigs of RAM now, and there you go. It's 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 changed. It changed everything from us wanting to yeah, <laughs> get, you know, spit on it and send it back, and did a scan this morning that turned out beautifully. Yeah. First time, first time around. It's very yeah, cool. they're good things. What would be like your focus of what you guys want to like chat about? Like, like which direction do we want to go? Because there's so many things that have changed in what I do. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the that's one of the things that that uh, we wanted to that, that your transition from practical makeup effects to sure. what you're doing now. If it was a, you know a conscious effort on your part, or if it just kind of sure. kind of yeah. happened. Mm. because okay. it's clearly it clearly was a good move yeah, well people need yeah, to, at least it certainly appears to be yeah people need to grow and grow and change and you know they're like everything is a learning curve and you learn what makes you happy and you learn how things work for you and for your environment and if you're not growing and learning and changing then you're stagnant and there's nothing good about that mm-hmm. were you kind of a, a builder or fabricator as a kid um, or is this something that happened as a kind of result of of being out in LA well I think that for me I think that it's always been the process that I like and making monsters and doing makeup effects and creatures was like the entry level like so many people of my generation you see the making of thriller and a light goes off and that's what you want to do and as I learned to fall the whole process of it, I found that making props or specialty costumes or all these other or statues or all these other things that we do scratches that same itch. And honestly, the clients are a little bit easier. We don't have to deal with, you know, an actor trying to play on his phone while you're doing makeup. Like there, there's so many things about it that yeah. are just a little bit easier for us. And then also the the entity as a company has grown. It just makes more sense because if I was just doing makeup, then I would be off on set or something like that all the time and then it would you'd have to divide you know my attention and i, I think that sounds it's, it's not for me yeah i totally get it yeah I, I, immediately it was uh, greg nicotero and howard burger came to mind with knb that they're both always on set yeah and then you have to somebody and, else and you got somebody running shop. the shop it's a tough gig and also there's so many things you can't control that it can be a very you know unsatisfactory experience whereas if you could be involved in the making, you you sort of can be more in control of that, you know, and the things you make. Yeah, I really, I, I do really love doing the actual work, like building the things and everything. Once you start owning the company, you do a little bit less of that just because you have to run the company. Yeah, I wondered um, about that, whether or not you still get hands-on or if you're oh, yeah. frustrated. We, we wondered about that. We took a, Both. <laughs> took a walk this morning, kind of <laughs> trying to figure out how we wanted to approach this this morning. And yeah. that was actually one of the one of the thoughts that we because I guess it's the price it it pays but I mean I'm very grateful to people like you because it means because not everyone there are people there are lots of people that make stuff not everyone can that make stuff can also run a company but you need to have people that can run a company because it gives lots of other people work so it's necessary (laughs) but the the cost to you personally is you don't get to make as many nice things which is presumably why you started doing this stuff but yeah it's a tough one like I think that as a baseline, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. People that run a company for all the clients that we have, you know, we work with all the giant studios, all the 
department heads, all the like every like nobody knows what they're doing. They're all making it up as they go. So anybody that has this like idea, like oh, once we get to Hollywood, that's going to be the right way to do it. They're going to really have their shit together. It it never works that way. So we're always making it up as we go. So somebody that quote unquote knows how to run a company, I don't know what I'm doing. I am only learning from my experiences as I go along. When I started this, you know, I I started just like hiring friends and people that I knew and. In the past, I had worked with people that only that I would just like invoice and you like 1099 them for all you in the UK. I don't know if that's the same thing over there. Like mm-hmm. there's a payroll thing and then an invoicing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people were just invoicing me, which I learned later on is that once you become like a legitimate company, it's not the way you should be doing things. And that kind of bit me in the ass a little bit, but that, but I learned from it. And now, you know, it's all payroll. And then I learned that going union, you know, our whole, the American movie industry is almost all union based. And the only people that aren't unionized are makeup effect shops and CG animators. That's it. Like everybody else is union. You go on set, everybody's union on set. Oh, maybe not the PAs. And, you know, all the people that build the props, all the people that build the costumes, like all the stuff, they're all supposed to be union. And so why do, you know, we as creature effects, makeup effects, blah, blah, blah. Why aren't we unionized? There's no reason that we couldn't or shouldn't be. So in going from invoicing to payrolling, to then unionizing, it just made sense to do it the right way. And that was all a learning curve also. And then How once you start- unionizing changed the changed the way you're doing business? Not at all. Absolutely not at all. The only thing that's different is that now I know that every single one of my employees has pension and healthcare benefits. And so we could all sleep at night. The, the cost is a little bit more payroll costs, but nothing catastrophic. People can still negotiate for higher rates if they think that they're fancy and they want more money. So it doesn't prevent people from making more money. It just sets a really nice baseline. So, uh, and then, you know, when, when you're, for me, I'm bidding against other union companies most of the time. You know, if I'm building props, I'm bidding against the three or four other big union prop shops out here. So all of our numbers are, you know, right around the same because we're all on an even playing field, you know, and, the, and even, even in like specialty costume land, there's a couple of non-union, well, most specialty costume shops in LA are non-union. There's only three of us that are. So when I'm bidding against the other ones, the non-union companies are often more expensive than me. So it's not even a price issue. But other than that, it hasn't changed anything. They don't. The union doesn't bother me on how I run the business or how anything happens. They just have a baseline of treat your people good. And if you're a good business owner and you treat them good anyways, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it kind of elevates the whole game then, doesn't it, for everybody? So it's not well, about that. It levels the playing field if everybody's union, you know, mm. and this is such a freelance industry. It like blows my mind that more companies haven't jumped onto this bandwagon. I hate to turn this into like Frank's Mm. union speech, but it totally makes sense. It's, it, it's almost like all these other companies are either cowards or they're greedy and they think that the union is going to change their company or change how they run it, or they're greedy and they don't want to pay benefits to their employees, you know, and they have these like golden handcuffs of, well, if you work here, you, you have insurance. So what's your problem? but it's a freelance industry. People go from shop to shop. If we're all union, we could get our benefits no matter where we go. And we don't have to worry about things lapsing between when you're, you know, at a different place. I don't know if you just frame it as it's just another level of taking care of your employees within your facility. You know, you can't look at it as it needs to be a stepping stone to working on set, or it needs to be this, or it needs to be that. Like the person that's making a mold down in my shop is not somebody that's ever going to go to set. I mean, we don't usually go to set anyway. We don't care. Like we're just here in the shop. Like their goal is not, I want to go be a mold maker on set. So 
he doesn't care about that stuff. So there's there's all these like things that other other people are like fixated on of why they don't want to be like go union. It's just like, come on, guys, it's just going to make it better for everybody. Yeah, I think that's it. It's knowing both sides of the of that score rather than just thinking, oh, I know what I know. And union is different to that. So that frightens me. It's a case of, yeah, but the benefits are actually <laughs> far, yeah, far outweighing. <laughs> yeah. In a country where we don't have nationalized healthcare, like, you know, Canada yeah, like, or you guys have that over in the UK, don't you? We do have. Yeah. So that, that's probably one that it's <clears throat> things like that, that probably mean the union didn't take as much. We, we have Uncle Bechu, but it uh-huh. doesn't, it doesn't seem to have a lot of teeth in that. There are a lot of people I know that don't, belong to it or don't need to belong to it and yeah people just kind of bimble along you know hoping the best but then you'll see people you know on forums saying i got screwed over this happened that happened and maybe if they've been well, smart they wouldn't got taken in but the point is there isn't as much protection for that you know yeah. unless of course people make it happen so yeah i mean if you if you don't need it in your the way your country is structured then it's it's kind of a moot point but for los angeles mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. it's a union town like <laughs> All these other shop owners are just cowards. Like that's it, plain and simple. Like go union. It's it's like better for everybody. You know, you, you see some of these artists that are in their fifties or sixties and they're struggling, or they don't have their health isn't good, or this or that, or you know, you just don't have access to taking care of each other. It's, yeah, come on. I like that. That's good. That's a good point. At least that's that's you know where I'm coming from. Everybody else has a different you know perspective. Yeah. Well, if it didn't work, you wouldn't be working. Do you know what I mean? It wouldn't. Yeah. If, it, yeah, if it didn't and, work, and, I wouldn't have been, you know, I'm now three years into a union contract. It's up for renegotiation now. And I'm not going to change anything about the contract moving into the next, you know, three years that I sign on. So it's obviously working fine. How many people you have working for you now? Right now it's 12, you know, fluctuates. Sometimes if we're real slow, it's down to like eight or if we're real, like the busiest I've ever been is like 35. And that was a Ooh. beast. It got very... Uh, disorganized really fast. And I think that part of that was when I did have that large crew, I wasn't as experienced as I am now about how to manage or structure things. I've learned like so much over the almost 10 years I've had this company about how to deal with people and personalities and, you know, artistic egos and just the needs of everybody. And I've, I've changed over like my, my crew many times, like who, who's here. There's only like maybe two people that have been here since pretty much the beginning. And I've learned so much about how things things work and what kind of people work best in this environment, you know, because I'm not for everybody. And, you know, there might be some amazing artists out there, but they're not for me either. Yeah. And the more I'm learning about that and talking to other shop owners or other other people, like you hear, you know, stories about literally every shop where somebody either loathes and hates them like to the core or they think that they're God. You know, I'm not... I. I try not to stress if people are unhappy with me. It's just, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but the people that I found here, they're, they're great. Like everybody, like the past two years, the crew that I've had, I haven't been all the same people for about two years and it's just so nice, you know? That's really good. And I think that's important for people who are, you know, looking to get into that kind of work to know, because I think a lot of people just think we've had it. We would discuss this like emails we've had where people go, I've just graduated. I've done this. I can do these things here hire me and it's like there's more to it than that though isn't there it's like but i want to know how you work and what you work like and what you're you know how you deal with responsibility as a person and those things you only find out i guess once they start working so yeah there's more to you as a an employable person than just the certificate you hold in your hand that you think is the golden ticket as a oh, graduate for sure. you know and, what i mean and the, 
and the culture of every shop is absolutely different. The way the yes. management style is, the way that they structure and run it, like as far as supervisors and who you report to and this and that. Um, the scale of the shop. Some people do great with a shop that's like maybe three, four, five people. Some people want to work in a big monolith like, you know, legacy or something like that, where there's a hundred and some people. It's just, it's what people work best in, or like, you know, what environment you work best in or what you're most productive. And, you know, if you just want to put your headphones on and flip pancakes, go over to legacy, you know, you'll get, go over to the mold shop and you'll tap glass all day and then you go home or yeah. whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So yeah, do you, is it, so do your, does your crew get involved in a little of everything or do you, do you, uh, have people specializing departmentally. I think that us, you know, all of us, as for what we do, we're we're kind of generalists. We have, I mean, I know you guys are just, you know, watching what you guys do and tinker with and build and how you work. And so I think almost everybody is a generalist to some degree, but they have something that they're more inclined to do, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, like I, people in the sewing department downstairs, they could paint when we get into a jam, they'll go sling some paint not usually but you know push came to shove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so we had a conversation with jake garber a while back and and he brought a point you know the more you can do the more you get to do yeah for sure so you know some people are like super super focused and specialized and that's what they do and some people can just get plugged in kind of anywhere and that's what they do i try to also pay attention to what people want to do you know, I wouldn't you know, like the the girl Yelena that does most of our uh, 3D work. I wouldn't make her go downstairs and like pour resin. I don't think she wants to do that. I mean, yeah. maybe she does. I haven't asked her lately, but. <laughs> <laughs> so how does a workshop look now? Do you still have people that will sling clay and actually build stuff for real and an armature and make oh. molds? Or is everything just click a button and a 3D printer spits it out? Because that's what no, people think. <laughs> it's still a little bit of everything. Sometimes there's yeah. a lot of like hand fabrication, you know, moving over into costumes and props. A lot of the props are getting designed and built digitally because a lot of them have mechanical aspects to them or electrical. So we have to make things like function and work together. Mm. Um, so the, the prop stuff is usually more the digital side. The costuming stuff, like that's, we're still draping patterns on body forms and stuff like that, but we're digitally scanning our bodies and then milling them out. Then we're, we're building it that way. And then um, there's a guy that works for me named Gary and he's with me, been with me from just about the beginning. And he's a really good foam fabricator. And so a lot of times he'll fabricate like the first round of a design of, of like armor or like spacesuit kind of parts. And then we'll 3D scan that with our Artec or in like our photogrammetry booth. And then we'll take that digitally and start, you know, making vacuum plumb bucks or, you know. What software are you using for your photogrammetry stuff? Uh, capture, reality capture? Re capturing capture. reality, yeah. Capturing, that's, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's no. pretty, yeah, I've, I've used that. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it's. It's kind of the the standard, like most photogrammetry softwares that I know of use that unless somebody's got something proprietary. Mm. It works fine and they keep updating it. So it's getting better and better. You know, our photogrammetry booth has a hundred cameras in it. So we get Ooh. pretty good. You know, I, you don't get down to like poor level detail, but for body forms and costume forms and what we're doing with it. How does that handle scale? Do you have to rescale or does it auto, does it one-to-one -one right out of the gate? Well... And with photogrammetry, there is no, there's no like scale calibration in there. We have markers in the, in the booth that we know what size they are. And so when okay. we get that data, um, we scale it to that. But as far as, you know, do costumes fit people when, when they scan them here, everybody seems to be like right on size. Like we've, we've got that workflow down so that it doesn't, you know, cause problems. Now this is all pretty new. And I know you've been <clears throat> probably at the forefront of a lot of this. Cause you, like you say, when you started doing a lot of stuff, I remember when we came to see your small shop when we recorded a creature geek episode yeah yeah 
and you had like a couple of little resin printers on the go and that was it yep. you know that was it yeah. and now you're doing all this other stuff do you think that, that was like eight th- years ago yeah <laughs> 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 amazing wow. time fight <laughs> or something like that yeah, it was like five or eight years ago or something like that it's scary but do you think anybody's teaching this stuff because it seems to me a lot of this is what we were finding with the arctic stuff you're kind of piecing stuff together and even you know the the training material that the scanning people supply there seems to be like massive holes in it because yeah. there aren't millions of people using this for sure so you know and it's all going to grow over time but do you think there are people that are teaching it it still feels a little bit like the wild west where people are just grabbing at whatever and piecing together and some people are smart enough to put the shit together themselves mm-hmm. but there isn't really a handhold this is how we do it and i guess you can't really because things are changing so quickly that if there was a program that was very specific you know it would be different in a couple of years anyway so you know having a bunch of licenses and expensive spam scanners yeah. is kind of redundant if you're paying 20 grand for a scanner and then the following year you know, a rival school starts up with a new scanner and you don't have that scanner. And now you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. You know well, it's mean? kind of like the when in the beginning of um, the CGI creating in the early 90s when 3D animation was, you know, with Babylon 5 and mm-hmm. and um, what was that under underwater one? Oh, DS9. Oh, no, Sequest. Uh, Sequest, DSV. Yeah. A lot of the software that's developed by engineers who weren't really artists and the terminology and the workflow wasn't geared to artists. It was geared to, mm. geared to engineers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah. kind of what we're seeing with, with the Space Spider, Artec Studios stuff is not really the way artists think about things. Yeah, you have to, you have to put away your artist brain sometimes to, to use some of these new toys because they're super technical. And as much as you, you want it to work in your little like, subculture of of some sort of art form and like why doesn't it do this it's like well 99% of the people that are buying those things are scanning engine blocks they're not scanning people's faces so it's it would be so expensive to to cater it to the artists right now because there's not a, enough or as many artists using it it just doesn't make any sense like yeah so we have to put away our artist brain and think of it in a technical sense I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I understand. And, but, yeah. But well, sadly, means... it's, it's easier said than done for, for most people. <laughs> it is. But do you know what? This is the thing. If you're finding, if, you, if you're part of a niche that, that notices that, then maybe you're the person that should do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's like you were saying with a company. It's like there wasn't a way that you just had, you had to be prepared to go through the discomfort of finding out well, in order to come through the other side. Not everyone wants to do that. But the few that do will make it through and and then now you're somebody that can like be be of value and other people will work for you and that generates income mm-hmm. for lots of it has a, it has a, oh, an yeah. expanding ongoing good uh, and so maybe that's you know maybe todd you should be the one to do this <laughs> as soon as you're <laughs> maybe struggling maybe, with yeah. it once yeah. you get past that it's a case of right let me rework well, actually, this for the people yeah, I know. we actually have been taking notes and taking photographs yeah. that we're gonna because i'm i'm as i understand it from our tech um I'm the first, or now Stuart, we are the first non-clients of non-paying customers of, of Artec who are, have seen um, their training videos. <laughs> so I come in with my, bah, 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 bah. We, we, we went through them all yesterday and I made notes of what. Yeah, what so I thought we are going to be well providing worked. some rather extensive feedback to Artec. No, yeah, please do. Like I, I had talked to them a long time ago before I got my Eva and um and they said that there was like new stuff coming up and then I, I never followed through with them. There's a lot of room for like improvement in how the software kind of works, but like having a structured light scanner, it, there's only so many things you could do 
when you're scanning a face that doesn't really have the same kind of indicators that like a like a geometric object might or you know if you're scanning like the body of a car and you put trackers on it and stuff like that like there's i don't know there's i don't know enough about it <laughs> yeah well we're we're figuring it out but we got some great results this morning yeah uh, with that with a scan of a, of a monster clay sculpture yeah. i did several years ago and we see you know it's one one color um, yeah but it turned out fucking great yeah yeah um it's so with ours like we just we just scanned a body form from somebody else they didn't have the, the 3d file of it so we had to go scan a body form and it's all about like the pacing that you go the distance that you go and then also trusting that the software is going to be able to put together the multiple scans you know like when we're doing most of the front and as much as we can on the sides and back and then we do another scan of different areas and there's then just being able to put those multiple scans together kind of a thing and then the bigger the scan is sometimes it'll just naturally break it up into multiple scans just as right. file chunks so it's learning how to trust the software and how to like like where you could push it and where where you have to be a little bit more conservative. And there's a little bit of hand eye coordination involved too, because oh for sure, we're getting in that green zone. Yeah, yeah, and and looking at the monitor rather than looking at the model you're you're scanning, sure. you've got to be looking at a at a monitor while your hands moving and keeping yeah. it the right st- right distance. It's I guess kind of like flying a helicopter a little bit. A little yeah. Bit. Well, like, I, I don't know if you're doing it like on a desktop PC or whatever. We have it on a laptop and we'll put the laptop on a rolling chair. And so then there's one person moving the rolling chair around so that yeah. the other person can. Yeah, you know, well, we're, we're doing it through my desktop now. Um, yeah. My my laptop doesn't have enough RAM in it. Uh, put your desktop yeah. on a rolling chair. It'll be great. There we go. But that's the thing. It, it's a two person operation, but it means, you know, you get a good scan, you know. Pretty oh, quickly. yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk a bit about like you were saying, like there are functional parts because a lot of the stuff you might be doing have been like sort of spacesuits or you know futuristic yeah. things with interlocking. The, so the scanning, would I be right in saying the scanning provides and, and working digitally, mm-hmm. not not exclusively because you're also going to make a physical suit, sure. um, but this allows you to do things that were either impossible or very difficult. Like suit complexity will naturally become more so because of the things you don't have to worry about. Like you'd be able to see inside symmetry. I mean, symmetry is like 90% yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like when we did, and I can, I can show you some pictures of this. I think I put them, I might've put them up on Instagram already. When we did the, um, the guardians for umbrella Academy, those big like samurai looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You did put some, I, I sculpted only half of that armor, that torso armor. We scanned it and then, and then did it in the computer. That was how we did the symmetry. I didn't have to sculpt the whole thing. That's, that's it. That's a, that's I mean, it's a huge Yeah. Yeah, but that um, things, but also like how 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 joints might work, or if you need to fit cooling mechanisms or clips. Oh yeah, you know, and yeah, a, we, accommodations we have, for those things. We have a whole sort of library of like the the standard fans that we like to use, or switches, or you know, plugs and stuff like that. And so when we're putting things together, like we could just kind of plug in, like this is where these things all kind of go. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we're building some props right now that have like iPhones for screens and then they connect to like a Bluetooth like keyboard and all these other things. And all that stuff is just digital assets that we've built that we can just plug in to make these like cool functional props. I've been working on a project uh, for several weeks now and early on I was looking for some parts on, on McMaster Cars website. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. and, realize, and you can download the files right there. Yeah, they've got pretty, pretty much their entire inventory mm-hmm. is available as free downloadable CAD files. Yeah, you are yeah. very excited about that. It's, it's oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, so stuff you don't have to fabric, you, you don't have to build yourself in Fusion 360 or, yeah. or in ZBrush. Well, in Fusion, 
there's there's a there's a button in Fusion that says import McMaster file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, it's it's you don't insane. even have to like download it and then upload. Like you just click the button and it just pops into your Fusion. Yeah, it's amazing. No, it's the integration. Another, another like that is... check in the column of why I love computers. <laughs> there's also another one. There's a column of why thing. I hate computers too. Yeah, yeah. There, it's it's like anything else. Like even the 3D printers or any of that stuff. We have laser cutters and scanners and all these things. CNCs. It's still it still comes down to having the foresight, I guess, of what what's the right tool for the right job. Like just because yeah. I have 20 some printers doesn't mean that I'm going to use I'm going to print everything that we do. Sometimes that's not the right way to do it. I don't know. Yeah, well, CGI is not the answer to everything. Just because yeah, you can no, doesn't sure. mean you should. Well, now the new thing that everybody's all hot and bothered about is shooting on a volume. And everybody thinks that they're going to shoot on a volume for every stupid show. And they don't realize like that they, they actually have to make a decision of what they're going to shoot beforehand because they got to build an asset. And then they're locked into that where they can't make they can't change their mind after after it. You know, like what what you pick and what you just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on, like that's what you're going to shoot. Um, yes. Vol- yeah. <laughs> volumes is a whole other learning curve for people. Everybody's thinks that they're all fancy strutting around on a volume and it's just like oh explain what that is to people that are going what's a volume because that's i thought okay. it was a dial on my feet but yeah you need like, the sets <laughs> um yeah a volume is uh one of the one of the first big times that they used it was on mandalorian it's a big giant wall of monitors so you can build a background and so as you move the cameras it's all controlled through the computer so that the, the parallax shift of foreground and background all kind of moves and then it also gives interactive light. So if you have something that's shiny or reflective, you're going to get the reflection of those background elements. Or like, let's say you're driving in a car and there's like, you know, the window has a little bit of glare. If you have these interactive panels around you, then the, the reflections are going to work right in the car. And some people just think that they're going to shoot everything at a volume and they don't need to go to locations for stuff. And they don't realize how ridiculous and expensive it is to do that. And it's, it's not a replacement for locations. It's a right tool for the right job. Yes. Yeah. 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 There is that danger always. I think when, when something is new, the yeah. first thing that happens is a bunch of people figure out how they can be lazy with it. Yeah. And then it'll look like that because someone yeah. somewhere will take that same technology and work hard with it and produce something amazing. And suddenly, you know, the entry level bullshit is not going to truck anymore. Well, I mean, <laughs> think about what we did. Like when silicone started being fancy, everybody was making everything out of silicone. And it's just like, yeah really and translucent and yeah. way too translucent and like waxy looking and it wasn't until people like really learned how to finesse it you know the same thing with prostate transfers all that stuff like the, you know there's still a place goose stickers as you used ball. to call them hell yeah goose stickers <laughs> yeah really well. yeah but like you say right tool for the right job and it's just it's just knowing all those different tools and playing with them. I mean, I think the thing with scanning, and this is what we were talking about, you got that Revo Pop, which is much, mm-hmm. much better price point. It's, it's knowing, it's, it's being able to play with these things at a very low level without a lot of money. Because once you kind of get your head around it and you understand the software, many of which are free, like the ZBrush Core yeah. Mini and all that, and yep. Fusion, you can learn these things without spending any money. And then, you know, when you do get to a situation where someone's dealing with a bigger scan or whatever, essentially the job's the same. It's just a higher, yeah. you know, bigger file needs more yeah. processing power but you've got the nuts and bolts of it in your head well having, having the nuts those. and bolts is like having that foundational like understanding of how something works is literally what our job is because no job that we do is ever exactly the same like it's it's it, we're always reinventing the wheel to some degree yeah you know even if you're making 
you know, a, a nose appliance for one guy, by the time you do the next season, you're going to change it. And you're going to, you're not, I mean, I don't know, maybe you use the same mold, but I mean, you're always changing things. You're always updating yeah. it, trying to make it better, trying to make it new. So you have to be able to grow and learn with all, all these new toys and nothing moves faster than computer stuff. So yeah. that changes every other day. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like there's a, there's an old, there's an old guard uh, that, that, um, you know, they, the processes are so sort of beloved that they're kind of hot, almost that there are some people very hostile to that. And it's less so now, but I do remember the whole practical digital debate, which is kind of dissolving because the practical elements are now so comfortable using digital, even if it's using a digital camera to take a photo of it, do you know what I mean? It becomes yeah. a familiar language that the lines are just blurring. It's yeah. not really what this or that now it, it's both. It's the same thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, for so sure. Which is something I'm pleased to see in my lifetime because you know, it was all a bit aggravatory when the two kind of were button heads. Like I said, I remember the hearing about the meeting on the first Harry Potter and there was like, you know, big sort of discussions about the centaurs, whether they were going to be digital or practical and the practical, we would in our department doing loads of tests and flocking and on people. And then they went digital and it was all a bit like, you know, it was a real, we want it. No, we want it. It was like a land grab kind of feel. Whereas now yeah. I'm like digital are in every fucking frame anyway. They don't want yeah. more stuff. If we can get this on set, <laughs> without yeah. doing anything or minimal we want that you know yeah. so that's that's turned around <laughs> that's well, it's also cost like building a digital character is obnoxiously expensive there's oh yeah usually still, a cost cgi saving. is still much more expensive than doing things practically almost always yeah, yeah. but it um, still has to be done well as well i mean you can spend a fortune we've seen it you know for sure but Ronin, you know i you do get the fortune. sense now though that that the practical and the digital camps are playing nicer together than they wow. than they used to well, it, it, they kind of got it. The digital people touch up all the practical people's makeups on every single show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be nice to the VFX people. Otherwise, they're not going to make your makeups look good. <laughs> that would be a good episode on its own, I think, mm -hmm. to see to what extent that happens. Yeah. It's it's funny. Like every time new nominations or new you know shows come out, I have a, a VFX supervisor friend of mine. And I'll text him. And I'll go, how much of this was touched up? And he'll tell me what the budget was, touch-ups on a show. It's just, it'll... It blows my mind every much he every time he tells me how much they spend wow. digitally touching up makeups. <laughs> and then technically, and it, those can't be. But if it wasn't AK, they those wouldn't can't have to. be nominated for a for a best makeup award. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but then, if they didn't make such high resolution, if we stuck with the old NTSC, whatever. How many? Yeah, let's. It was, yeah, let's. But yeah, fine. Let's go, <laughs> yeah, let's go back to uh, VHS tapes, and then we don't have to worry about touching up makeups. <laughs> yeah. Well. It's, everything yeah it's it's such it, the lines are so blurred and i have this conversation with him all the time it's fascinating and it's sad but it's also like hey it's making everybody look good so who cares yeah, yeah. well that's one of the reasons uh, the reason bill corso started his uh digital makeup group is because sure. he was seeing the visual effects people touching up makeups i said well fuck if they're going to be doing that anyway it should be done by makeup people you'd think yeah but, the, you know, yeah. you, in just about any credits of any movie, there's always this company called Lola. And Lola touches up everybody's makeup. Every Like, you know, there's this fancy, expect, expensive actors that have Lola in their contract that they need to be cleaned up by Lola after the fact. Just de-aging them or cleaning them up. So, yeah, next time pay attention to the credits. If you see Lola in there, you know that somebody got touched up. Um, and that's yeah. all they do is just touch up people's faces. L-O-L-A. Yeah. L-O-L-A. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is a fascinating area, I think, just on its own. Because, yeah, that retouching thing. Because, like you say, who then gets to claim it? Because this is the thing. They used to have makeup, used to have digital. And now digital everything makeup. can be digital and it all intermingles. Yeah, and, yeah um, for sure. 
and similarly you know it's frustrating like like with the um, you know the bgfx stuff for, for vecna you know on mm-hmm. uh, last stranger things and people are like amazed gorgeous. that it was that it, it, so much of it was practical because they just assume if they see an extensive effect it has mm-hmm. to be yeah. from the computer mm-hmm. no i think it was great yeah. and i think that when you have a director and producers and visual effects supervisor and makeup team that all work harmoniously and communicate then you get that great stuff it's yeah. when you have you know some a lot of these shows more so these days they're all just shooting from the hip and there's not enough time like even what we're doing like building a simple prop like a like a phone you know to make a phone that's never existed before that looks and and does some funky things and they're like oh well we need it in 3 weeks which has always been the case for the movie industry like for all of time but it, i feel like it's getting worse and worse these days and i think that that's and probably coming... because of digital capabilities they think oh we can do it digitally so you don't why do you need so much time oh yeah you get this beautiful digital illustration and they're like can you make this in three weeks uh, we'll figure it out you know <laughs> we do but it's just like come on yeah it's i think there, there's a little bit of a i don't know if it's a i don't want to call it a culture shift i think that there's something going on right now where there's so much in production that there's so many producers and department heads. Um, and I'm not just talking about makeup department heads. I'm talking about every department that are just not as seasoned. Yes. And so you have, a, you yes. have a lot of poor decisions being made because of lack of experience. And, and a lot of that, you know, all the way up the chain with the producers and the line producers and, and directors too, that just don't have enough experience and people aren't getting enough time to do their jobs correctly. Even wor- like, I don't feel like it was this bad two years ago. And I can't, my head is going to fall off my head. I'm nodding so far. And yeah. in every aspect, especially like, like payroll and, and admin stuff, where they just seem to just like pull people from wherever and yeah. things that should be very, very straightforward, like you're two, three weeks into a job. And I'm like, you still haven't asked my start form. I haven't had this. I haven't had that. And I, huh. do you know what I mean? Or, or, or yeah. just little things. And it's like, this, this never happened three, four years ago. But like you said, it's because the sheer volume, they're going to pull people out. And yeah. then the film I was just on as well, like a director, I'm not going to, say who but that you know director very unfamiliar with how practical effects work mm-hmm. and making ridiculous demands and, and choices based on not knowing any of this stuff and it's like yeah. you're always going to get directors who are doing something perhaps that's unfamiliar to them but like you say it's a bit of a trend where yeah. they're just pushing these people out because oh we just got to start you know finishing stuff up and it's like yeah but they're not the right person to make that job go smoothly you know just because yeah. you put them in that place doesn't mean and, they're going to do a great job and there isn't going to be a legacy of shit to deal with after they fucked off into the next yeah thing. and a lot of times it's it's these enormous enormous shows that people love and think all have their shit together I'm not going to throw every show under the bus, but it's every show. No, yeah, <laughs> like, it seems like the bigger the bigger the show, the bigger the shit show. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, We're just you know pointing out that yeah. it, 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 that is the case because you see the finished thing. And there's no evidence really that that yeah. was the case, but it's it, that's why it's good to talk to people that work on these things because yeah, if you're going to get into this or, or you you know you like this kind of stuff, you need to know this because it's not obvious and 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 it it needs to be dealt with in how you approach what you're going to yeah. work with. Just you know, getting getting shafted and working every hour that God sends. And not making enough money is precisely what your shop with the union is trying to, you know, stop from being the case because you want to live your life. You want to be doing this for years. Yeah. Uh, well, you, do that, you need to make sure that there are certain it, conditions met. It's sort of made me change how I do jobs. So before I used to just take not everything that came to the door, but we would just keep taking jobs and taking jobs. And I found that we were working way harder and not making any significant gains. We might be taking twice as much work, but we're definitely not making twice as much money. So I started to get a little bit pickier on what things I'm saying yes to. 
not to the point where I'm like, you know, just sitting there with my arms folded, like, unless it's a perfect job, I'm not taking it. But working with people that I have uh, previous relationships with, uh, or people that I know that aren't going to, you know, throw us under the bus, you know, there's, there's a bunch of shows that I just, I don't want to take their jobs anymore. Big giant shows that have a company with ears um, on the logo. Like <laughs> I, they, they just don't make us happy and they don't yield us anything that's gainful, you know, but shows like Umbrella Academy, like I'll, I'll take a job from Everett Burrell or Steve Blackman or Jeff King any day of the week because those producers and showrunners and supervisors like know, know what they're talking about. They like on everything that we've done on Umbrella, um, we've had enough time for it. We've had enough money. They've been very reasonable with how we do stuff. Like this third season that we we just um, that just aired, you know, we built these like big crazy costumes. We had just the right amount of time, right amount of money, and everything was fine. We built that that main character on the show, Christopher, the cube that lit up. Mm. And we had enough time to figure out how to do it. Yeah, those were cool pictures right. that you posted. That that was that was a neat build. Yeah, and and working with those people is a joy. So I'll take their jobs any day. You, you want know, to show that to the other people, you know, and say, look, this is what you can do. And you get yeah, it doesn't time. have to be as hard as you're making it, guys. Yeah. And <laughs> right. it ends up being a good thing. And like you say, that goes back to, you know, Ever Burrell, you know, from Optic Nerve back in the day. Yeah. And, and they, you know, that, because they, they know their stuff and they, they're doing this stuff now. And they're, I presume they're taking what they learned from that into this. And that's why yeah. it's a joy. Whereas you might get some 25 year old executive you know yeah. with, with with ears on um telling you <laughs> what, what's, what's happening and you're like what the f-? you know your head is still soft what are you talking about yeah so, like they might have a lot of money and a lot of very like flashy ip that's like cool that everybody wants to work on but fuck that doesn't make me happy like no. i i we want to you know we work pretty reasonable hours over here and we you know that's I, try what I was to... just going to ask you if you if you're when when things are really jumping over there do you do you run shifts so that you don't have one crew working 18 hour days we have um, since going union, like there's, you know, eight hour minimum. So everybody works at an eight and most of the time we, it's just eight and skate over here. You know, people are in, it's almost like bankers hours, the way the place is here. And the only time we run overtime is when I'm billing a show overtime and they're all so scared of things costing a lot of money. So no one ever wants to pay for overtime. So unless they need it super fast, like we rarely work over eights. And then when we do have to put in that occasional crunch for a weekend or a long thing, which doesn't happen all the time, everybody's fine with it because it's not our normal operating procedure. When you have some shops that their standard procedure is you're going to be working weekends and like tens or twelves. Yeah. Do you have a maximum number of shows that you'll have in-house at any one time? I don't think I have a maximum. It's just how much we can organize ourselves to. Like I, I used to take, you know, eight or 10 projects at a time and it was you know, a big juggling act, but you know, now we're like, right now we have three projects. Would here. you have a supervisor for each one or one, one supervisor running, running everything? Well, so this is the thing I've tried in the past to have people that are supervisors or people that are, you know, quote unquote department heads or something like that to kind of help manage thing, things. And I've found that at least the people that I've tried out just don't work out. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make my job any easier it makes everything way more complicated um, unnecessarily. And then I'm just spending money on somebody that's that wants a lot of money because they, they call themselves a supervisor. And it's not it's not adding any quality of life to it. So I would rather take less jobs that we can in turn, like, you know, between the dozen of, of us just kind of organize on our own. And we have some, you know, things in place that 
everybody's got all the information that they need. Like, you know, we have a, a server that people can log into and have access to the, you know, whatever digital assets they need or artwork or whatever. And then we have, you know, this big board with all the, the current projects and it says like when the due dates are and, you know, just like the broad stroke information and everybody knows how to come and ask questions. I think a lot of people's problems always ended up saying, well, you know, we don't have the information. We don't have the information or something like that. And it's just like, well, did you ask, you know, did you go ask Gary or go ask Jessica? Like all that info's around. You just got to talk to people. Yeah. So it, again, it's finding a team that works good together and a, you know, a method that works. And it's not for every shop, not for every person, but we found a way that works here. <laughs> That's cool, man. You were saying, uh, just go back to what you were saying about the armor. You sculpted half the armor for. Yeah. Um, Umbrella Academy. Umbrella, Umbrella Academy, and yeah. you, you scanned it. So you did that in yeah. clay? You, you, yeah. Wet. Yeah, I just so you're still a bunch of water clay. That's oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, 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 for That's sure. That's what I wanted here. I just, you know, that. Oh, yeah. Do you make a point oh. of trying to find a couple of little things? You go, oh, I really want that for myself. And yeah. I, you know, and do something. The, the risk keep is me. <laughs> the risk is sometimes me taking on things that I'm like really excited about. And then other things kind of get pushed to the side. So I have to balance oh, like yeah. how much I'm doing. <laughs> but like the other, like what was it last last year, the year before when we were doing Kenobi, like I wanted to machine lightsabers. So I pretty much said, I'm everybody else, like, leave me alone. I'm machining lightsabers. So like me and my buddy, Jeff, like we just made lightsabers for like three months or whatever it was. <laughs> and it was great. So what like, a fucking some... sentence. I wish you could play that back to yourself years ago. <laughs> You'd be like, wow, just say that again for yourself. Yeah. That's all. Awesome. No, it was fun. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I even like tried to challenge myself a little bit more. The one lightsaber that we built, I made all out of titanium. So I, I just kind of, you know, like aluminum is the easy answer, a little bit of steel, a little bit of brass, but I was like, no, I'm going to turn it up. We're going to put a lot of titanium in these lightsabers. Nice. So <laughs> the, the challenge in that was teaching myself how to properly machine titanium, getting the beads and speeds right. And, you know, using the coolant and every, like using the right kind of tooling. And I got to learn something new. So that was fun. Do you think that when you get like, as if you're an actor and you hand someone a prop like that, and it's like, whoa, do you know what I mean? The, 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 how it feels in the hand, it might look the same from a distance as if it was just, yeah. you know, polyfoam and painted up yeah. silver. But yeah. do you know what I mean? There's a response to how you deal with it. Like there is with makeup, you actually interacting with a real yeah. thing. Yeah. real time and that's why it's worth putting the effort into stuff because i think so but it's also it like me putting my it well it's me putting my little stamp on it like first titanium yeah. lightsabers you know yeah yeah but but you know actors that must have done these shows before a million different kinds of these things when they pick up one they go holy shit this isn't like yeah that's, the other shit that's I get nice but this is nipolito <laughs> <laughs> trust me nobody knows who my name is <laughs> Or like for shows like that, we're just a vendor. Like it, they might as well be going to 7-Eleven and picking up a beverage. Nobody yeah. knows who we are. We're like, but it's that, having that pride in your work, isn't it? And, oh. and also pushing yourself. But still. that's for me. That, yeah. Like that stuff. Sure. Yes. Like, yeah. you know, nobody, yeah, but, nobody over there cares about my titanium lightsaber. I no, but the, the point is you, you could have, <laughs> you could have approached it as like, what's the cheapest, the quickest way I could get away with it. And that's not what you were doing. And, and oh, oh, that's a good, that's a good, it, you know, you expressing that is something I think, people need to hear or starting out or doing stuff is that, you know, there's an integrity to it. You really want it to be, you want it to be good for yourself. No one needs oh, to yeah. make sure you don't fuck it up. Be like, I don't want this to be anything other than flawless. Yeah, my dad tell me anything worth doing is worth doing well. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's a little sure. engine that you kind of try, but you know, I know you can't do it on everything, but yeah, you have to nice pick and choose when you're, when you're yeah. putting the titanium <laughs> in and when you're 3d printing something for sure. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Going back to like the, 
14-year-old Frank, like, nerd prop hierarchy, we also got to build proton packs for the last Ghostbusters. So yeah. in the past two years, <laughs> I've built proton packs and lightsabers. Like, yeah, I can die a, happy now. <laughs> a real proton pack. I mean, a real proton pack yeah. is something I would love to have. That's awesome. Yeah. Is yeah, that the... Least- um, the one with the kids, the the the, the new one, yeah. The new one, yeah. I saw that on the, yeah. on the flight over, and yeah, it was good. So it was, I enjoyed so we, it. We built four stunt packs that were that were always pegged for one specific scene. It's the scene where the original Ghostbusters were were standing by the car, and Gozer like fires at them, and they get pushed against the car. That was mm-hmm. the scene that that these packs were built for. But a buddy of mine that does post production said that they were replacing stunt packs with real packs a lot because people liked how light ours were our our packs only weighed like eight pounds so nice. i've heard rumors that ours were used in more places and then it was digitally touched up because ours were always meant to just be stunt packs yeah um, fantastic oh, good enough for me you do good work frank <laughs> well, you do and it shows it's it's a you total always team have. effort though like we it's trying to surround myself with people that are better better than each, everybody's better than the next person or everybody's yes. like that's a kind yeah, of thing yeah like i think like i'm Synergy. 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 It's a thingy thing. Yeah. Um, like I'm competent at stuff. Like I could I could make things, I could do stuff, but like being surrounded with people that are like way like way better painters than me or way better sculptors than me or way better like I love that stuff, just being around all these great people. And I guess you see that and it ups your own game, doesn't it? Because you're like, oh god, you know, when you're surrounded by that good stuff, it kind of you'll you'll whenever you do something similar, you'll 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 be learning from them, and it, yeah. you have a, a new baseline of what's acceptable in your head because you've seen oh, the yeah, yeah, best yeah. do stuff. So yeah, it it's, up. it's it's great, and I think that everybody takes all these opportunities as chances to level up their skills. Also, like every time we're doing something, we're trying to like push a little bit better and make stuff mm-hmm. a little bit nicer and do something that we haven't done before well i but think that, you you were saying that the, with the, with your with your team as good as they are because of that i think we shouldn't take away from the fact that you've had to struggle and deal with those difficult situations when it was time to let someone go and look for somebody else to make things work oh. that, that's a hard those are hard things to do and not everyone can do them but the net result is you have this sweet team you're going to get better at sniffing out stuff that you think is going to be problems for you for your oh, nice yeah. team because you want to keep that going mm-hmm. so you put the hours in and and and, and done the stress to get to that point so you know that's as much a, a creative and hardworking act as, as a sculpting thing so you know one of the hardest work things... there but thank you for doing that because it means you know you've got a, gr- <laughs> a group of people who are going to make really good stuff and and that, that has ongoing benefits that's yeah. amazing that people can do that so yeah um you know, one of the hardest things that i've ever had to do was firing or letting go of people and there was a time it was back in uh like late 2018 where I just, I, it was just, things were weighing on me and I was really conf- confused on how, what was going on and everything. And I came to the conclusion that I needed to kind of like clean the slate and sort of start over. And I let go like every, all but like maybe like four people in my shop. And at the time I had like 20 something, I just needed to retool and needed to rechange. And it was such a hard decision to come to and such a, and it weighed on me for so long about what that was. And some people still hold it against me for some reason that, I had to let them go, even though this is a fucking freelance industry. And what are you talking about? But that was letting people go and having to manage in that, in those terms, or even when somebody has to like quit or like somebody wants to take another job, like do something different. I don't take any of that stuff lightly. I don't, it weighs on me. And I, and I always point that towards myself, like, okay, what, what did I do wrong? What should I do different? How do I learn from this? How do I grow from this? And I've had a lot of people that, you know, have come and gone that are, that are great. And 
I'll hire him back here any day. And then there's a lot of people that when I have to make these tough decisions, make it very tough on me and on all the rest of the people in the building. And they just make it clear that they don't want to be here. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that, that's a tough place to be. And I think anyone that's going to run a company is going to have those kinds of things. And there's a certain uh, freedom that freelancers have where they, they're never in that position. So they can go around feeling gnarly about it because yeah. they never had to do it themselves. You know what I mean? No, no. Everybody thinks that they know what the next person up the rung, they're like, oh, well, that person's got such an easy job. Like, why don't they do this? It's like, oh, it's so hard. Like running a company, just the, like I know to, to back up like way back, I never sought out to own a company. Like when I got into this business, I would have been happy just being a mold maker because I love making molds. Like you, you guys have seen this before. Like I, I love it. And I would have been totally happy doing that. But for whatever reason, the world has steered me towards this. And, you know, I started to get my own jobs and then I needed some help and then I needed more space and then more, and then it turned into this. Had I known 10, 12 years ago, how much taxes and compliance and insurance and like all this stuff was like, I probably wouldn't have done this. Like I, it would have scared me even just thinking of all the logistics of owning a business. Yeah. Adulting. Yeah. Like running payroll every week. My payroll every week is sometimes like right now it's like 20, $30,000 a week. My rent just went up on this building. My rent's $30,000 a month on this building. My insurance is like 20 some thousand dollars a year. Like you start thinking about that stuff and you're just like, why would anybody do this? Who would do that to themselves? You know, and I'm a small business. Like, you know, there's a lot of shops that are two, three, four times the size of me. So like somebody's like, oh, I wish that I only had $30,000 in rent. But it's just like, it's so, so dumb. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. If yeah, it doesn't, doesn't I quite not elicit the, the feeling of, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna relax today. I... No. And let things slide till tomorrow. No, you can't. <laughs> no, fuck it. Everyone dies, yeah. but no one, not everyone truly lives, Frank. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's exactly why I buy motorcycles and pinball machines because that's what I, I do to keep fun. I think that people need to have hobbies that aren't what we do every day. Um, sure. You know, like we're all, you know, makeup effects nerds or monster nerds or prop nerds or whatever we are. Like we love film and building things, but dude, you got to get out and play. You got to do yes. stuff, other stuff that like clears your head, like whether it's music or sports or whatever it is, like that stuff is so centering for me. Like, yes. you know, obviously not right now because my knees hurt, but you know, there's times in the shop they're like, Frank, you haven't ridden in a couple of weeks. You should take a day. Like people know when I'm starting to get like a little tense and they're like, go ride. Cause it just loosens you up. Yeah. And I think it's also a testament to how well you're organizing things that you can have hobbies, because as you know, a lot of freelancers, they, they just, they just live to work, which is then you're managing everything wrong. If, if, if you're working all the time, always, then you've accepted a, a an incorrect way of looking at things. I think yeah. because you have to be able to make, otherwise what are you doing it for? <laughs> well, that might come down to like, you know, financial management too. Like how you, yeah which goes back to running a business. Like not, not every artist, like you could be the most amazing key artist at whatever shop and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that you should be running the shop. You should just be doing your art because yeah. maybe you don't have that business sense or the ability to hire and fire or the ability to, you know, do your taxes and communicate with a bookkeeper or like all that dumb stuff. Oh. All that dumb essential stuff. Oh God. Invoicing. I got to redo invoices again as soon as we're done on this thing. Cause a show that we're working on just changed how they want things again for like the third time. 
So I got to redo all my invoices. Yes, that all of that has uh, become yeah quite tempting. <laughs> well, that'll yeah. be a fun. That'll be a fun Tuesday for you. That'll be fine. It's almost lunchtime, anyways. Are you still going to do any Creature Geek podcasts, or is that uh, done and done? I really, really enjoyed doing Creature Geek. the The hardest thing for me was to get people to commit to coming on. Like, you know, I I'd go to you know Monster Clues or whatever, and I talk to whoever, and they're like, oh yeah, sure, whenever. And then you can't, I can't get Greg to come over to save my life, or you know, it's you, like herding cats. It kind of is. And I'm sure you guys have that problem too. Like people that, yeah, yeah, everybody's got schedules. Everybody's busy. I get it. But it's like, it's really, really hard to get guests on there. Yeah. And I find that if it's just me and Len talking, it'll just be like, what movie did you see last weekend? And Frank, how's the business running? Like, and then that's it. You know, I'll rant about the company for five minutes and we'll talk about whatever rad movie we just saw. And which, by the way, Prey is awesome. I just watched that over the weekend. When, when I flew over, I watched a bunch of films. Uh, what did I watch? I watched the new Bond movie, but I also watched... Ghostbusters. Yeah, the new Ghostbusters movie. Um, yeah. I was a bit resilient because my kid really liked it. And I was like, yeah, if you like it. <laughs> no, it was good. It was, I but, thought uh, it was but, great. But, 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 you know, I'm sat in a plane for 12 hours. What am I going to do? So I watched it. I was like, holy shit, that was really good fun. Really good fun. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was... Um, very happy to have worked on a Ghostbusters that doesn't suck. That is as good a place as any day. <laughs> That's a fucking perfect line. That is a great button. Amazing. Well, I mean, that's that's all you can hope for is to work on, you know, you put your heart and soul into building these things, whether it's costumes or props or monsters or whatever. And all you, you can only hope that the people that are pulling the strings above you make it not suck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's one something that, that a lot of above the line people have forgotten about the industry that we work in it's it's the entertainment industry it's fucking supposed to be fun people aren't filmmakers anymore they're content creators and the too much of them are you know not they lose track of what it is that we're really 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 doing we're and you know cg or creatures or whatever it all has to serve the story everything like literally everything has to serve the story if you have a horror film and it's a bunch of bloody effects if it doesn't serve the story it's useless if you have a creature like something cool like vecna if it doesn't serve the story it's useless stranger things did an excellent job on you know everything that they put on that screen serves the story filmmakers are just bonkers sometimes yeah, I like that, that the distinction between directors and and content creators because mm-hmm. otherwise it's just like oh I have to make something because we do it. like we do the podcast but we do it when we can when we feel like we've got something to do rather yeah. than just oh it's Wednesday we're gonna knock one out and it's just you know yeah, it's yeah, whatever yeah. it has to be worth doing which means they're sporadic because we're both working but which is fine it, yeah but yeah. it's just I'd rather do that it. and um, you know yeah. like this this is a good conversation I would I would hate to not not have something to bring but that's why I'm, I'm curious about how this goes in the company and all this and it's well, nice yeah, we things. finally got a chance to to do this because we've been talking about it for ages oh i know i mean it's a different it's a different conversation because you know we're not talking about you know glue and rubber on someone's face or what you know what cool thing that smooth on just came out with we're, we're talking about like the nuts and bolts of how this business works and how you know people go to work at a shop and you don't often think about all the stuff that happens like up the chain or, or like the responsibility that, you know, it's like, it's, it's my job to bring in like $2 million worth of work every year. Like that's what I need to keep everybody employed downstairs. Like that's a lot on my shoulders. Yeah, it is. And the fact that I've been able to pull off like uh, near that level for, I don't know, past five, six years, I keep thinking that it's going to all fall out tomorrow. <laughs> Somehow it keeps going, you know? Knock on wood. Well, employees don't often think about like what those people upstairs, like the pressure that's on them. So it's, if, if you don't have a good you know team that understands all of that stuff, 
Like I'm super transparent with everybody downstairs. Like everybody knows how I bill, what I bill, like all these things. Like I've heard, I've had these conversations before with other people. Again, <laughs> back to the stupid nuts and bolts of the show or, you know, running a shop. When we invoice and we invoice labor, you know, we bill at like $110 an hour. And there's people, employees at other shops that'll go, wait a second, you're billing me at $110 an hour to that production. Like what, where's my cut of that? You know, when somebody's making 35, 40 bucks an hour or something like that. And I've everybody downstairs understands this. And I think everybody that works in a shop needs to understand how this works. So you have your your payroll, which is the money that the person gets. You have your in, the workers' comp insurance and your your taxes and stuff like that, which is another 20% on top of that. And then you have your union benefits, which is another 20% on top of that. So that average about $40 an hour person costs about $56 an hour. Somebody's going to check my math and tell me I'm wrong, but the last, something like that, it works out to about 56 bucks an hour is my hard cost on average per person. And then on top of that, you take all the overhead and all this other junk. Like how do you, you can't, if somebody says, Hey, will you build me a a fake cell phone? Right. You can't say, well, this is my overhead cost and this is the toilet paper cost. And this is, you know, the internet cost. So you take all those yearly costs and wrap it up into one ball and divide it by 12 months, divide it by four weeks, divide it by your average number of employees, which 15 is usually what I divide that by. And then you add that on top of that. And then you add in a 20% buffer because people don't work the whole eight hours that they're here. They go to the bathroom, shit happens. The phone, you have to redo something. So you add yeah. a 20% buffer on there. And that basically gets me up to $110 an hour. So, because that's how much it actually costs. Because yeah, otherwise, you end up exactly. you end up working. And I, I've done exactly. this before. You know, work for companies that are trying to get really low, and they they get the job because guess what? They were the lowest price. They won. Well done. Yep. Now we're working every hour. God sends, and then oh shit! I accidentally spilt half a tin of, of part A. Now I need to get a whole other kit of this. Yeah. Well, so materials are no, a separate budget. They didn't. And this they are, didn't but, take the, yeah. the, the time yeah. to figure out how much does it cost for me to do absolutely nothing for one day. Yeah, you know this is a conversation we've had a number of times. Is yeah. trying to figure out because how much should we be billing and for our for our time for our services? Well, you know what's our time worth? Well, it's more than just how much you think you're worth. Is you got all this other stuff that has to factor in? Yeah, that most it, artists don't think about. That you know what are your what's your mortgage payment? What's your what's your utilities bill? What you know, what's your Wi-Fi? It's all it all somebody's paying for that. And, and yeah, and it very comes to a lot. You can't give that away for nothing. No, but that's the thing. Then when you run your budget together, you go, wow, that's a big number. The first yeah. instinct people have is let's reduce it so I get the job. Yep. And then you're like, well, now you just haven't made any money. And it's like, that's how much it costs. I, I guess the trick is to be fucking good enough that you're worth that. Yeah. Rather that's... than trying to figure out how you can cut corners. It's like, well, yeah, you know, find better clients. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And good and it's cheap. Pick two. Well, I mean, and it's tough. You think about like building like a specialty costume, you know, to build your first article by the time you scan a dude, mill it out, do all the patterning, do the armor parts, do the like this and that. And then you have conversations, you have meetings and blah, blah, blah. Like a first article on a specialty costume, it's not, it's not bonkers to say it's 80, 100, $200,000 $200, because you start adding up all of the people that need to put in all of that time. And you know, you tell somebody that costume costs $200,000. They're like, oh my God, where's a quarter million dollars going into that costume? It's like, that's well, I have labor. a detailed breakdown for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why those things cost so damn much, you know? Yeah. And that's a, but the second one's not going to cost quite as much because you've no. already, you've already done Figured the it hard out. work. 
Yeah. Second, yeah. like if the first one's like, you know, $150,000, the second one might be 40 or 60, you know, like yeah. somewhere, you know. I'm, I'm very pleased that you're talking, you know, some numbers because it, it gives people an idea of what things cost. Because when you say those numbers, they sound like a lot, but it's like, yeah, but that, the costs to you are a lot. That. Just to be yeah. there in that shop and do this and give this job costs you this much every year. It's like, of, of course it costs a lot of money. The fact you didn't know that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean well, I, I have to work for less money because you're a fucking idiot and don't know how much this stuff costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, but again, like I like to be, very transparent with not only my employees, but also my clients. Like I'm happy to break down all of this stuff all the time to everybody that wants to know why things cost what, because I think the more we're educated as craftspeople or as, you know, clients or, you know, as producers or whatever, like, why does this cost, why does a costume cost a quarter million dollars? Well, I mean, people got to have their insurance, you know? Um, Yeah. What do you think the next incarnation of a, of you is going to be you're going to be a become a, a producer a showrunner do you see I, that in your future or have you I, even thought about it i like i'm trying to figure out what my next move is and i have a bunch of like crazy pipe dreams just personally only frank not company like i feel that i've done everything that i've always wanted to as a little kid you know i got to play an alien in star wars i got to build lightsabers I got to build proton packs got to you know wait beyond... you get to play an alien in star wars yeah, it was the the calamari in, in the second season of Mandalorian, the one with the sweater on. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to go back and pictures of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check so that yeah, out. my yeah. favorite alien in all of Star Wars, the Mon Calamari aliens. I got to play one on the show, and I had lines and all that other stuff. And like, hell yes! Like, how do you how do you beat that as like a little kid? I mean, maybe you you play another alien. I do. I've done all these things. You know, got to, you know, be on. The, the Black Pearl in the Caribbean got to, I've gone to premieres, I've gone to like blah, blah, like all You've the things that, that yeah. I ever thought like as a kid, and I've never sought out awards, so I don't give a fuck about awards. All the cool little moments I've had, I've done it. And so I'm, it's almost like I joke with my sister that I'm having a midlife crisis. Like, I don't know what to do next. Other than doing more, I'm kind of like, well, I, I'll keep doing this and I'll do more. But like, what do I really want next? And I'm, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> No reason you should have to make a decision. Know. You know, doing the most good for the most people. You're a I long way from being grown up. Yeah, that's for sure. That's the way I like. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah, exactly. I have pipe dreams about moving to Oregon and building a big giant barn and riding my dirt bikes in the backyard. But starting a reefer farm? Nah, I don't do that. I just after drink. six months just of that, you get twitchy. You 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 want to make start a bourbon? Else. Start a bourbon yeah. ranch. There you go, a bourbon ranch. Yeah, I can grow the bourbon <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> Uh, no, south. bourbon has to be from a specific region. I'm Did you know? It's in the south. Here, here's a fun fact. If the place that a whiskey comes from has an E in the name, then it's, then it's whiskey spelled with an E-Y. And if there's no E in it, it's just whiskey with a Y. So like, like, look at Japanese whiskey. It's just W-H-I-S-K-Y. If you go to, you know, you get an Irish whiskey, it's W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. So you can, I didn't realize yeah, fun fact. <laughs> well, it's a shame I can't share a glass of bourbon with you, even if it is probably not. Oh, drinking yeah. time. It's, five yeah, it's, almost, it's almost 11 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> time to ring the gong. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we still, every once in a while, like we'll have shot o'clock here at the shop about 4 30. We'll just. Uh... Shot o'clock. I like that. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> we will have have that today in your honor, Frank. At four thirty, yeah, yes. four thirty shot o'clock. Yeah, I'm actually I'm taking my whole shop out to see um, Bullet Train today. Um, that new movie Bullet Train that came out. We did a bunch of stuff on that, a um, bunch of costumes and props. We did a bunch of body parts too. I guess there's all these like arms and legs and stuff. We made those like costume character, like anime looking thing. We made that whole costume, and then there's these like masks that the bad guys have that are like Japanese oni mask looking things. We made all those. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. Do you have some pics of some of that stuff that we can put in the show? Sure. Notes? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, great. I'll send you some stuff. Writing your Instagram. <laughs> awesome. Frank, I think we should probably knock it on the air. We've taken up enough of your time. Yeah, I know you've got things yeah. to do and lunch to have. <laughs> yeah, no, anything I could do to help. And if you guys find when you're putting this together that we're missing some sort of gap in a conversation that that we need to you know, fill in with another question or something like that. Just bug me and I'll, I'll help, you know, I, I can jump back on Thanks. and fill in a, a beat if you need something. So we hope you guys think that was as eye-opening and enlightening and enjoyable as we did. We had a great time talking to Frank, uh, which I hope came across. Uh, and as usual, we'd love your feedback. Uh, you can get on to the Battles with Bits of Rubber website at battleswithbitsofrubber.com and leave us a voice message or leave us a text message. You can email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and tell your friends. We'd love to grow the audience. Talking of messages, we had a, a nice message sent in by Amy, and I'll play you a little bit of that now. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Todd. Um, I'm Amy. I'm from Northampton. And for the last few months, I've been listening to the podcast every day while I'm at work. Um, and this definitely brightens up my day. And I am starting university in September at the University of Northampton. I'm going to be studying hair, makeup and prosthetics for stage and screen. It's a new course and I'm only in the second intake. I am so grateful to your podcast that one, it's so entertaining and I've learned a lot from it. But I also love the real talk you guys do because that's what I need. I feel like with what you guys have given me. I know I've got like a real realistic expectation of myself and what I can expect the university to offer me as well. I feel like I'm in a position where I can start and I will <laughs> hopefully do some good stuff while I'm there with access to sort of materials and guidance that I wouldn't get at home. I love the podcast. The two episodes you did with Don Lanning gave me so much inspiration and made me feel really comfortable about my choice. But yeah, I'm just very, very grateful to you. Oh, and Todd, I did buy your first edition of your book, but I'm going to start reading it soon and absorb all of that. That's pretty much all I have to say. Thanks so much. So that's a nice message from Amy. I really like that. It's very awesome. nice. Thanks, Amy. Made my day. It's very cool, isn't it? So, yeah, you can leave a message like that if you need to, or if you have questions, or if you'd like us to make, um, you know, we could do an episode based on a problem you may have, because a lot of the questions we get are emails, um, which uh, we put together. We have Q&A. We had a Q&A episode a couple of episodes back where we would, you know, we go through things, uh, and we'd love it if you would, uh, you know, send us some messages and give some fodder to work on. And with that, we'll see you on the next go-round. Cheers, Todd. <laughs> Cheers, Stu. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.